A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official expanded universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is great disturbance in the force. That's right, Whistler. Welcome to episode 168 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast, your podcast of legends, your ticket to that galaxy far, far away. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division of Podcasts at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes can also be found on iTunes, Zoom, as well as Stitcher, and right on our own Twitter and Facebook pages at SW Beyond Films. Hey, but enough about how you got here. Let's get the show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, the champion of the multiverse, the bipolar Star Wars fan, Mark Herleman. And with me, like the first Saturday in May, the EU guru himself, the Count of Continuities, Mr. Nathan P. Butler. Hey, everybody. What's funny is we have no idea if this will be airing before or after that first Saturday in May because, boy, we're... We're actually pretty far ahead at this point on recording. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been weird that whole delay. Like, I, I know Tarkin is going to come out after our next episode from the point of when this is airing. Uh, but yeah, I've guessed it and talked about Tarkin uh, on Bookworms last night, and I'm like talking with Aaron, and I think we're like they may release like either days in front of each other or behind each other the same day. I'm like, man, we've recorded ours like almost a month ago. <laughs> yeah, this is true. We are recording this, folks, on April 10th, and I must say, April 10th for me has been a weird Star Wars day. Um, to run it down, let's see, the Phantom Menace, or sorry, the Phantom of Menace, the Shakespearean version of Phantom Menace came in the mail today. I went on iTunes, and as of right now, there is no audio drama version, which sucks, because that's how I like to partake in them, so one of my favorite weird Star Wars things to listen to may not have a counterpart this time around, which really kind of stinks. I'm hoping that that's just a delay in the process, as opposed to it being that it's just not being made, because the ones for the other films were excellent. Then we had the second Rogue Squadron cycle force pack for the Star Wars LCG showed up in the mail today, uh, which has among its cards Merrick Steele, right, from TIE Fighter, who in his card looks like a bald butch woman. Kind of an overweight bald butch woman. <laughs> it's really kind of weird. It's kind of like, what if Rosie O'Donnell shaved her head and became a pilot? Oh, sorry, is that is that bad? Is there Rosie O'Donnell fans out there? And today, we also had the digital HD release of the Star Wars films, or at least the live-action films so far, which was a big deal. I decided I am going to look at them in from the Star Wars home video library, at least to talk about the supplements, but do it as a supplemental episode of that series, because it's not actually a physical media here. Um, but I find it interesting that we were all shocked, because thanks to the way the distribution rights work, I'm assuming... The same thing that was going to stand in the way of there being a box set of original versions, perhaps, at some point, because A New Hope's release uh, distribution is all owned by Fox, and the other ones travel with Lucasfilm, so now it's Disney. We had this weird situation where the digital films were released, and I haven't got a chance to dig too much into the supplements and things like that yet, but the, the most obvious thing is that A New Hope has the original fanfare with 20th Century Fox and everything, yep. but now... 
all five of the other films have this weird truncated version where there's no 20th Century Fox, which means there's no fanfare. Instead, it's a Lucasfilm logo. I think it's a little bit longer on screen than before. And this weird, uh, it, it feels like an edited version of mm-hmm. like the end of the special edition trailer music that you get at the end of, I guess it was a New Hope's uh, credits music. It was just See, and we bizarre. were thinking it was it was Return of the Jedi's end credits. Yeah, but, but it definitely felt like it was something that was cut and pasted together. Yeah, which is unfortunate. It, it's just weird. I mean, I'm sure I'll get used to it like we got used to no and everything like that. Uh, but it just was odd today. And then today, the early review copy arrived of Lords of the Sith. And Lords of the Sith, one odd thing about it, didn't apparently have a regular arc, a regular advanced reader copy. Usually when the reviews come out, you get basically this weird thing where it's like kind of like a purplish white book. There's no real cover to it, at least not a finished cover to it, and it's the uncorrected page proofs. That didn't happen this time. Uh, people on NetGalley got that digitally, but those of us who get the paper copies didn't, and instead they sent us the finished book just a couple weeks before it's supposed to come out. And I don't know if this will air before or after the book actually comes out later this month, but there was an immediate chronology freakout moment type of thing, because the opening of the book, and I don't think that this is giving anything away, even if it is slightly before release when this airs, the first sentence of the book says, Eight years after the Clone Wars ravaged the galaxy, the Republic is no more, and the Empire is ascendant. But if you flip earlier, you also have that new The Story of Star Wars timeline in the front of the book that has Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones, Clone Wars TV series, Dark Disciple, Revenge of the Sith, Lords of the Sith, Tarkin, A New Dawn, Rebels, A New Hope, Heir to the Jedi, Battlefront, uh, Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, Aftermath, The Force Awakens. And it was interesting because it has Lords of the Sith, then Tarkin, then A New Dawn, and so on. And that was kind of worrisome because it sounds like in that opening sentence they're saying it's eight years after the Clone Wars ended, which means 11 BBY, which means this would be three years after after Tarkin in 14 BBY, and yet the timeline is listing it as Lords of the Sith and then Tarkin. Uh, wound up asking Paul S. Kemp, who oddly enough said that actually he wasn't certain because he wrote The Crawl, but that opening line about the chronology aspect of it, he didn't write, which I found kind of odd. But, you know, to be fair, I also complimented him at the same time because he captures Vader better in the first few pages of this book than I think anybody has in a long time. And I went then to Pablo Hidalgo and asked the same question, and he was able to confirm it is supposed to be in the same year as Tarkin. So apparently this eight years after the Clone Wars ravaged the galaxy is supposed to be dating from the beginning of the Clone Wars, not the end. It doesn't sound like that. But if you date from the beginning, you get to the same year as Tarkin, and this could easily fit into that year prior to Tarkin, uh, though I'm not more than about a chapter into it at this point, just as far as being able to tell in context how it works. Uh, it, the book also in print has confirmed what Pablo Hidalgo said in one of those Rebel Recons, which was, yes, Cham Sindula is Hera's father, not uncle, as Shelley Shapiro said on a convention panel a while back. But it was just a weird day in terms of just odd Star Wars things bombarding from every direction. And now, depending on when we finish recording this, uh, me and one of our 
listeners, Travis, may hopefully hop on Destiny and be able to knock out a bounty that drove me nuts today. So, in a sense, that's sort of a tangential Star Wars thing coming into uh, something else that I do for FUD. So, God, what a freaking weird day this has been. And I guess I should add to the oddities uh, recently something that I can finally talk about, which is cool. Rich Hanley contacted me a while back and asked if I would be interested in contributing an essay to the first of three volumes of Star Wars sort of analytical pop culture essay type books. Now, there'll be three books in this essay series, so to speak. Book one is A Long Time Ago. Exploring the Star Wars Cinematic Universe. That's the one that I will be contributing to. I'm actually doing the article, appropriately enough, on Star Wars Rebels Season 1. Kind of breaking it down. Continuity, context, uh, in real life and in universe stuff. Things that did well, things that didn't go so well. Use of established characters, um, puffer pigs, and, you know, the like. Sort of analyzing where Season 1 went and uh, the success or not thereof. There will also be a book two, A Galaxy Far, Far Away, exploring the Star Wars comic books, and book three, A More Civilized Age, exploring the Star Wars expanded universe. These are all being published by Sequart, that's S-E-Q-U-A-R-T. Their website is S-E-Q-U-A-R-T dot org. You can find information on all of them. Again, Rich Handley is editing them. He's the one that sort of brought me onto this and got me interested in it. I may write for one of the other ones. It really depends on if we hit on a topic that really sounds good that somebody else isn't already doing, because there is a massive, massive group of people who are writing for this series, some from fandom, some from film, online websites and whatnot. You've got some published people. It just It's a lot of people. I think they're going to be some pretty cool reads for those interested in waxing philosophically, so to speak, about Star Wars. But yeah. Another oddity to add to the oddities. I almost didn't even think to mention. How odd. Well, see, I wonder what the Lords of the Sith, if that's like a nebulous thing. Because, like, even Tarkin, there's a line in there uh, where they talk about, you know, years after his incendiary death, there was a quote he was known for, which kind of gives you the impression that this, the book itself was written, you know, much, much later in the timeline, even though it was set, you know, about five or so uh, in the timeline. So I, I wonder if it's one of those cases where maybe, you know, parts of the book are set in one end and, and the, the, where the beginning is set was set in a different spot. You know, maybe that's the case. I, I don't know. It's that whole idea, I guess, of writing it as history as opposed to writing it as legends, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I suppose it would be something that's a little more, you know, a bigger issue when it is something like what you're doing with the timeline and stuff, you know, when you're trying to pinpoint these things down and all you have are references, uh, you know, to things. I, I think that's always one of those things that always is going to frustrate me when they don't know when a book is going to be placed, which I don't think that was necessarily the case. I just think this is probably one of those cases of either a number got transposed or it's a book that, that spreads across. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, to his credit, if this is just something where Pablo Hidalgo knew well enough of me, uh, we're friends on Facebook, but don't talk that much. I mean, just kind of witty comments on his posts, and every once in a while we'll make a witty comment on mine. Um, I don't know if it's because he had referenced some of my stuff back when dealing with the uh, Essential Readers Companion or what, but he apparently was not adverse to answering the question when I messaged him on Facebook. I wasn't quite sure if that was an okay thing to do, being um, not someone who's, you know, a, a friend in real life, so to speak. 
Um, but he answered the question, and Paulus Kemp was very quick to answer on Twitter as well, though he didn't necessarily have exactly the information that was needed. So at least there are some avenues perhaps open when the, the typical avenue that I used to go through, which would be to email Leland Cheese, seems to have somewhat closed because of the whole, well, you know, it must be approved by the PR department. Though given the nature of the question that I asked, I bet that if I asked Leland, he would probably have been able to answer that one too, just... You know, when does the book take place? Because the book is already in people's hands, and it's not like there's some kind of grand scheme behind it or anything like that. Um, but it's, what's it, an odd day. And we've got kind of an odd topic here, but timely given that we are coming up on the beginning of May. Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions. Questions that have bothered you for a long time, or simple ones that have perplexed you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars, and so do we. This episode, we ponder the free comic book day comics of Dark Horse Comics Star Wars line. Now, before we get too deep into spoiler territory, we'll give you our quick spoiler-free rundown. Just be sure to jump off at Tarkin's Arrogance. There's not really much of a division between, say, spoiler-free and spoilers this time around, because these stories are so short. All we want to do, really, with the spoiler-free segment is give you a sense here of where you can find these if you don't want to know anything about them. Because talking about them at all will probably spoil at least a big chunk of them. There's just not yeah. much to them. So, in 2002, you had the Free Comic Book Day comic, Star Wars Tales, A Jedi's Weapon. You can find that in Star Wars Tales number 12 also. You can also find it in Star Wars Tales, I believe it's volume 3 of the trade paperbacks. Each one contains four issues, so that would make it the last one in volume 3. Then, in 2003, there wasn't a free comic book day Star Wars comic at all. In 2004, you had Hide in Plain Sight, which is a Star Wars Clone Wars Adventures comic. Right, That is based on the Gindy Tartakovsky series. That one was later collected into Clone Wars Adventures Volume 2. Talking about those little digest-sized ones, the early ones. Then in 2005, we had Brothers in Arms, which is just promoted as Star Wars, Brothers in Arms. It was collected into Clone Wars Volume 7, When They Were Brothers. You can also find it in Omnibus Clone Wars Volume 3, The Republic Falls. In 2006, we had Routine Valor, which was also reprinted as the Star Wars Fan Club Special in 2008. That's that one with the cover that has that really cool picture of tons and tons and tons of Star Wars characters, kind of like a red and black and purple type of cover. That was also collected in that same The Republic Falls omnibus. 2007 and 2008 did not have free comic book day Star Wars comics. 2009 had The Clone Wars, based on the newer series, The Gauntlet of Death which featured Kit Fisto. That was collected into the trade paperback for The Clone Wars in service of the Republic. 2010, again, no free comic book day Star Wars comic. 2011 had The Clone Wars Oppress Unleashed, which is actually the middle chunk of Clone Wars Digest Strange Allies. In 2012, we had The Art of the Bad Deal, which was collected into Star Wars Volume 4, A Shattered Hope, that is with the Brian Wood series, even though it was not part of the Brian Wood series. They just needed a place to put it, I guess. 
And then in 2013, we had The Assassination of Darth Vader, which is written by Brian Wood, which was collected in Star Wars Volume 2, the series, Volume 1, trade paperback, In the Shadow of Yavin. And then in 2014, there was no Star Wars comic, and I don't believe they've announced one for 2015 as of the time we're recording this. But then again, it took them until the week before Celebration to announce that Del Rey is going to have a sampler, that they're giving away free Star Wars books to some people, and that they have a Marvel Star Wars preview comic at Celebration. None of that was announced until very recently, so maybe there will be one for this year. We just don't know about it yet. Mm, Yeah, you never know. Yeah, the one thing I noticed, I mean, when we first talked about doing this episode, I was like, oh, my God, this is going to be two or three episodes long. I was such a panic about it. I I was like, we might have bitten off more than we could chew here. Uh, But then I got into them, and and I honestly, I blew through all of them in one sitting. Um, They are so short that, yeah, to really talk about really anything about any one of them would pretty much spoil the whole thing because there isn't very much to them. I mean, I guess that is what you get when you get what you pay for on a free comic book day. Uh, I know from that aspect of things, you know, the free comic book day event has been something that my family uh, we look forward to because my local comic store they opened up uh april 4th and that tends to fall on that so like this year they're having their anniversary again they're they're holding it on free comic book day so they have the 501st show up and stuff it's a big event there's usually a, a long line to get in usually you can get two or three comics there's a whole bunch and a lot of the comics you know there is a uh, a second comic on the other side there's a lot of them that you flip over and there's one on each side so when you get them in that form it's, a, it's totally a different experience than say like when you get it in the trades and stuff you know like Clone Wars Volume 7 they were brothers you know when I'm flipping through that there's really nothing to tell me that that's the free comic book day unless i'm looking at the little fine print on the first or or second page in at the bottom i mean aside from that even the cover doesn't even say anything about it being the free comic book day so you wouldn't even really know there was anything about it you'd just be like oh that's a really short story what the heck uh but yeah it's definitely interesting i like the fact that they they offer it uh and and in the terms of you know looking at the eu as legends and stuff little short stories like this that seem to be little throwaways and stuff are kind of refreshing in amongst themselves Yeah, I mean, there's not a whole lot to any of these. There's a couple that stand out, I would say. Nothing really to write home about, certainly nothing that's particularly impactful in any of them, but sort of a chance for people to test the quality of Star Wars comics in their particular eras. Now consider that your spoiler warning, Beyonders and Sentients of All Ages, because here we go on another adventure beyond the films. Right now, these don't really need big summaries because, of course, they are little comics. We're just going to kind of hit them as we go, keep this sort of a manageable-sized episode, just like these are manageable-sized comics. The first of these is Star Wars Tales, A Jedi's Weapon, produced in 2002, released in 2002. So we're talking about the same month as the release of Attack of the Clones in theaters. So this is in the ramp-up to Attack of the Clones, and it's really... It's odd. Okay, first of all, because it's Star Wars Tales, it does have the Infinities logo on the inside, but there's nothing to say this isn't in continuity. Again, this is in an era in which Star Wars Tales was basically, it could be in, it could not be. We're going to show you a mixture, but because it's a mixture, we're going to slap the Infinities label on it, and a lot of people assume that that meant that everything in them was out of continuity for what's now the Legends continuity. Not necessarily true. In fact, a reference in Star Wars, the ultimate visual guide actually places the basic part of the story as main canon of what is now actually Legends, uh, which is interesting in and of itself. It's still an odd one, though. 
basically, Obi-Wan and Anakin wind up meeting with this dignitary that they've got to sort of show respect to. And the dignitary's got a bunch of women with them. His wives. Four of them, to be exact. All of whom are walking around scantily clad. Uh, Twi'lek style, almost. Uh, basically, it's his harem in the way that it's presented here. And they spend some time, you know, doing their, you know, diplomacy thing, only as the women leave, Anakin realizes, oh crap, my lightsaber's gone. Because apparently, <laughs> some of the members of this troop are apparently kleptomaniacs. So, Anakin has to basically avoid a diplomatic incident, and avoid letting Obi-Wan know that he's lost his lightsaber, and winds up sneaking into their diplomatic chambers through the room with three of the wives in it, who turn in the other wife as the one who actually did the stealing, break into the wives' room, wife that stole it, only to find, oh, she says she's lost it. It's been swiped from her. Until eventually he winds up back in, ha ha hee hee. It turns out that Obi-Wan had it all along. And we get a final few <laughs> panels here where it turns out that, that basically as she swiped it, and stuck it sort of inside like a holster on her leg inside her dress, Obi-Wan used the Force and snatched it right back before she was even out of the room, and we get the, you know, your we this weapon is your life type of, of discussion between them. But I find it interesting <laughs> and creepy that when Obi-Wan is shown in the flashback actually withdrawing the lightsaber with the Force from the woman who is walking away, it really kind of looks like he's pulling the lightsaber out of her ass. <laughs> she doesn't have a lot of places to hide it anyway. They showed it going on her leg, but it sure looks like he pulled it out of her rectum. Um, <laughs> what have like we got here? <laughs> Hello there. <laughs> um, I mean, it's it's an interesting little tale. Um, it's goofy, it's kind of funny, and it's fun to see Anakin awkward around pretty women. Because, again, he hasn't really had that much experience, and if this is what he's dealing with, and the look on his face and the whoo kind of thing going on whenever he first sees the wives, no wonder when Padme shows up again, he's so hot and horny for her in Attack of the Clones, because he's having to stifle all those, you know, late teens, early 20s urges, apparently. They get nothing to write home about, but, you know, interesting. The only downside to this one, I find, is that it's very, very thin, it's almost like those uh, Dark Empire 1 and 2 little preview comics. It's printed on less glossy paper than all the rest of these, so it really feels kind of like it should be a crappy quality item. Uh, but again, fortunately, you could pick it up with you know better quality in Star Wars Tales number 12, so this is probably not one a lot of folks are going to be hunting down. If you are hunting it down, though, look for the one with Attack of the Clones Anakin on the cover with his lightsaber. And for what it's worth, before we move on, A Jedi's Weapon is written by Henry Gilroy, with pencils by Manuel Garcia. Well, that is one of the good things about Attack of the Clones. There were a lot of little tiny references like that, when Obi-Wan says, this weapon is your life, and now you have this. And you got that one uh, reference to the Gundark Nest, and things like that, you know, I mean... I, I I like that opportunity and the fact that they took advantage of that was a great little nod and, you know, a classic example of why these little stories are given away for free comic book day. That brings us to 2004. Again, in context, we are still a year away from Revenge of the Sith, but people have been learning about General Grievous a little bit. Thanks mostly to the Gindy Tartakovsky series, and of course there is that connected Clone Wars Adventures comic series, 
drawn in that style with short little tales, uh, several of them usually per volume. This winds up being one of those tales. It was presented here, though, as a free comic book day story. Hide in plain sight. Basic gist is that you've got clone troopers and Luminara Unduli and Barris Offy. Well, she is still a Padawan, so who knows where this is going to fit anywhere anymore. I haven't looked it up on the timeline myself. My own timeline. And basically, they are in a situation where they need to evacuate some people, but the menacing separatist droids led by Geno Grievous, who at this point was still badass, not a coughing idiot, a mustache-twirling villain, is bearing down on them to kill them. There's no way they're going to get out of there in time. So, Barris realizes, based on one of Luminara's old lessons, that sometimes the easiest way to hide something is to hide it in plain sight. So as the separatist droids march through, they basically just all lay down her, the troopers and the settlers, just lay down and play dead. As if they've already been killed, and the droids just march on by, only to wind up finally being defeated by more Republic reinforcements. Uh, it makes, again, kind of a nice little tale, interesting little twist, cool to see Barris and Luminara in it. Again, nothing to write home about, I would say. And... I don't know. It's interesting looking back on it to see that type of artwork, because remember, they completely have ditched the whole Gindy Tartakovsky style as we get to the Clone Wars with the V in front of it, as opposed to the Clone Wars micro-series. This is really a blast from the past to see that art style replicated in comic form again. Yeah, you know, I, I like the premise of the story. In fact... You know, that's something I would have actually liked to see the Jedi of that era kind of do more of. I mean, we see something like that similar when the Clone Wars film came out, when the first, you know, that launched the series. Uh, Anakin and Ahsoka did some hiding with the shields and stuff, but I don't know. I mean, I, I, I kind of always enjoyed that era of the Gendi stuff and seeing that kind of stuff play out one last time. I mean, it felt like one last time, you know, going back to it, but alas, poor Gendi. And again, before we move on, this is, of course, written by Wells Hartley, who we know of as Randy Stradley. Wasn't he one of the Randy Stradleys? I believe so. <laughs> no, so With the real Randy Stradley, Stradley please, please stand, stand up. up. <laughs> um, and uh, with art by the Philbach brothers, who did a lot of the art for Clone Wars Adventures. That brings us to 2005's Brothers in Arms. And this one, i got to say, is one of my favorites of all of them. This one so I don't forget by the end again, has script by Miles Lane and art by Nicola Scott, so relatively good art throughout, although honestly, Obi-Wan's got kind of like a Donald Trump comb-over thing going on through <laughs> most of it. But the gist of it basically is that Anakin and Obi-Wan are on a mission. This is after the events of Obsession, where Grievous and Dooku elude them on Boz Pity. And we see them crash in basically a Republic gunship on the on uh, the planet Rue. And as Anakin and Obi-Wan try to go get help, basically, and call for reinforcements, call for pickup, the clones, for the most part, stick around and try to fix the ship. And it's an interesting thing. It's I mean, it's just sort of a chase story. They're zipping around through the woods, fighting against the Separatist droids that find them, making their way to the palace and fighting the droids in there and... You know, the day is saved when eventually the clones show back up again with the gunship. But the most important thing, I think, is the way it deals with the characters in this case. There's a lot of great character moments. Uh, before we hit some of them, Mark, your impressions of this one. 
Well, this one was one that I actually I got it in the uh, the trade paperback. So I've got it in the Clone Wars Volume Seven. And one of the things that threw me off was I was paying attention to Obsession because I have Obsession in single issue and in this trade because I didn't have this free comic book day. Yes, I actually bought the trade just for that one free comic, uh, but. I, when you first open it up for Obsession, it talks about Obsession. It says approximately five months before the events of Revenge of the Sith. And when you get to this one, it says approximately four and a half months before. And it threw me off because I wasn't thinking of counting backwards. And I'm like, wait, that's not right. And then I'm like reading it and I'm like, oh, wait, no, it's got to be right. And, you know, it, it totally took me a second. I'm not a timeliner like you. So, I mean, I'm just looking at it like, that's totally bass backwards. What the hell? Uh, but yeah, and then I was appreciating the fact that even though it was a free comic book day, that it did pick right up off of what was uh, in Obsession. Anakin references it. Anakin makes a lot of really cool comments. And in Obi-Wan especially, I, I know it's what you were kind of hinting at, is Obi-Wan makes some comments about Anakin's relationship, not just to the Jedi Order, but to life. Uh, and it, it barely, I, I love the way it was hinted at. You know, I mean, it was pretty obvious Obi-Wan had a lot of ideas. And then by the time this, this one's over, the way it felt like it led into uh, Labyrinth of Evil, you know, and they were talking about feeling like they were being played with and that the Separatists were targeting them specifically. Like, I, I mean, yeah, for a free comic book day, what this did for the overall Dark Horse comics era of the Clone Wars stuff was really good for a free comic book day. Even though, yeah, I agree, the art, while good for the most part, the characters kind of morph a bit, but it's still better than Volume 2 of Star Wars by Brian Wood. Yeah, this one really did surprise me. And I didn't remember it being this good when I first read it. I went back and reread it, and I was like, wow, you know, this was better than I thought that it had been. I guess because so much good stuff was coming out around the same time. But uh, and And I will say, I'm right there with you. I bought uh, Wild Space Volume 2 for mainly pod racing tales that had just been on the uh, the <laughs> website. And I bought Wild Space Volume 1 for just a handful of things. I think I bought Menace Revealed Omnibus, I think is what it's called, only for the comics from Dark Horse Extra. So I know exactly where you're coming from. But some of the things that stand out here, I mean, it's interesting because people don't remember this necessarily because of how much the Clone Wars television series 2008 onward changed our perceptions of that era. But mm-hmm. Obi-Wan had gone through hell in this era. He'd been caught. He'd been tortured. He had to see people cut down left and right. He, he had people slip through his fingers. He was really sort of pressed to a breaking point, even more so than Anakin in this era. And we get some great moments that play on that that would feel probably kind of weird now the way we think of them in the Clone Wars. We have them talking about the mission, and Obi-Wan says, uh, that's an understatement. There's no telling how many droid patrols are looking for us. Clearly they know we survived the crash. This mission is not going well at all. And Anakin replies, we could still beat Dooku to the Citadel. If we're lucky, and in the worst case, worst case, I think this mission has already gone beyond that. We've lost our backup, lost our speeders, and we're without a plan. I'm truly sorry, Master. But I think we need to focus on our goal and not worry about anything else. Our situation stinks, but we've got to keep going. I know. I know. I'm sorry, Anakin. I let my emotions get the better of me. Well, at least if we're on foot, I don't have to worry about any more of your stunts. I'm like, that is not what we usually expect out of Obi-Wan. Him being the one with the emotional outburst. Mm -hmm. But it's a more human side of Obi-Wan that we got in that era of publishing. Again, this is being published in 2005. Well, another thing about this era that that the Clone Wars, especially season six of the Clone Wars changed, 
is what was going on with Dooku and the other Sith. You know, when Labyrinth of Evil, it was all about chasing down who that Sidious was and, and all that. But at this point, you know, Anakin, he's just wanting getting back to Coruscant. And of course, he, you know, he hides it by saying, and the temple. And Obi-Wan goes, this was our chance to apprehend Dooku and his cyborg general and finally end this war. Dooku keeps invading us. And the longer he does, the longer the Sith Lord behind all of this remains hidden. You know, at this time, you know, we didn't find out that Dooku was Tyrannus and all that. That that was still a mystery as to who Tyrannus was, how Dooku fit into everything. Was Dooku a Sith Lord or not? I mean, yeah, the opening scroll of Episode 3 calls him the Sith Lord Dooku, but... At that point, the comics and stuff, we were all still questioning, did the Jedi ever figure that out? Granted, the Clone Wars Season 6 came and changed that, but here again is another classic example of where we were at at that time when this was made. That's right, and as you mentioned a moment ago, this is the one that also ties very heavily into the continuity of that era, of course, uh, because we had... I've informed the Council of what happened here. They feel that the Confederacy is targeting us, as do I but for what reason remains unclear. They have given us our next assignment. Republic Intel has located Viceroy Gunray's hideout on Cato Nemoidia. And then Anakin gripes until finally Obi-Wan says, we'll be underway within the hour. It's literally leading directly into Labyrinth of Evil, as you mentioned, which is not something you would have expected, usually, of a throwaway story. In fact, honestly, a lot of times in the era of Star Wars publishing in which this was being made, and since then, uh, up to basically losing the license to Marvel and all that, which is sort of a fait accompli thing, it seemed as though a lot of times the novels and the books weren't doing a whole lot together. The novels and comics for Clone Wars had, but then you had all these little throwaway stories with them, and you felt like the throwaway stories, oh, well, they're not going to matter. It'll be the other ones that matter. No, here's one that should have been a throwaway story, and it mattered. It had an interesting connection to something we see in some of the more mainstream stuff. And as time went along, it seemed like Del Rey and Dark Horse were kind of doing their own things in a lot of ways, sort of uh, never the twain shall meet. But this is an era in which throwaway stories could matter every so often, which is impressive to me. See, and ironically enough, I thought Obi-Wan was totally being a weenie throughout this until you pointed out the fact that, yeah, he had just come from all that stuff where he was wearing the Sith torture mask. Asajj Ventress tortured him and Alpha, uh, you know, and, and just coming off of everything that happened with Obsession, Alpha now being gone. Uh, that makes a lot more sense when they get into the temple and they find out we've walked into a trap. We should have seen this coming. And they start fighting and they get separated and Obi-Wan's like behind Anakin. But who is behind all of this is a question for when we are fit. Ah! And Anakin turns around, Obi-Wan. And at this moment, there's a really panicked look on Obi-Wan and he screams, Anakin, help me. And I'm just thinking, what a wanker, you know, but, but when you put into context the continuity of what was going on, yeah, he's exhausted, not just physically, but emotionally, morally. He's, you know, completely beaten at this point. And he is very much leaning on Anakin, which adds to the heartache of Anakin's betrayal. I mean, you know, I loved what classic Dark Horse was doing. And this, this to me feels like a classic Dark Horse. See, folks, every now and then we have people complain that because we're American fans, we focus very much on the American audience and that we seem to speak to our own as opposed to the world through podcasting. See, Mark just used the word wanker. <laughs> so apparently we're becoming a little more multicultural. I blame it on Celebration. That brings us to 2006. Okay, so we're in the era after Revenge of the Sith had hit theaters. 
that publishing process had started to wane as far as the big Clone Wars stuff, but we're still getting some Clone Wars material, and the Clone Wars cartoon series that we know of more recently was still a couple of years away and hadn't, as far as I recall, been announced yet. So we have a story entitled Routine Valor by Randy Stradley with art by Douglas Wheatley. And this is where you start to see these flip books, by the way. General story, basically Commander Cody is in a gunship with a whole bunch of troopers. They have a mission that they're supposed to go on. They crash. They wind up going to the top of this uh, peak, taking out some cannons there in order to survive the day and so forth. And it was just, yeah, it was just, it was routine. That's the kind of valor they always experience. This is the first time that we have a Star Wars free comic book day story that does not take up the entire issue, although a Jedi's weapon was kind of thin at the time. This is one that has two stories in it. You flip it over and you get a Conan story by Tim Truman. Uh, Conan, the librarian. Isn't that who he is? I don't know. I've only seen it on UHF. <laughs> um, but this is, yeah. For some reason, this story really didn't tend to connect me. It just, it felt like, sort of action for action's sake. You know nothing's going to happen to Cody. You don't really care what happens to the rest of the clones, because at the time we didn't really know many of them by name, at least not the ones in here. And it just sort of felt like a throwaway story. It, it was routine. And ironically, it was this and the Into the Unknown comic, the one where uh, Indiana Jones and Star Wars crossover mm. were the two that were combined to that uh, fan club special back in 2008. But... I don't know, this one just didn't, it didn't resonate with me, I guess is the word I'm looking for. Well, surprisingly, this one actually is my favorite of these ones. Um, and I think for the first time, it's because it's so continuity free. I mean, you could take this battle, this story, and slip it in almost anywhere. I mean, granted, Anakin and Obi-Wan are probably not together, but they could be. You don't know. Obi-Wan's in his own gunship. Cody's in his. They're talking via one of the comm links and stuff. And Kenobi's talking about, you know, don't go at that one big mountain plateau. You know, it's got a huge cannon. We can't take it on foot. We're going to have to have big ships come in. Okay, right on. You know, and then we're flying along, and all of a sudden, Cody's ship gets hit. They go crashing down. And guess where they're at? Right underneath. Does that rock look familiar? Yeah, the promontory we were warned about. We're right where we're not supposed to be. General Kenobi ordered us not to try to take this section from the ground. That's what he said. But what would the general do if he was here? And then, of course, the other guy looks back after talking to Cody. Troops, prepare to attack. And I don't know, for me, like, I, I really, I, I don't know. It had a Karen Travis type feel where I, I felt like I was one with the guys, you know. We were put in this ramrod position and, and we're going to make the most of it. And in the end, you know, Cody was kind of like, you know, oh, it was just routine, sir. And I, I don't know, I, something about it, maybe, it, and it, it feels like it flies in the face of what I would normally say. You know, normally I don't care for for books that are like that. But in a comic like this, I was okay because it felt like it captured the essence of what I wanted. You know, it was a Clone Wars battle. It was in the thick of things. It was fast hitting and it had a point. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I really dug it. It was one of my favorites. The lines on this are really thick. So it's got a gritty look to it. Uh, but it wasn't something that turned me off. I still enjoyed the clone trooper, the armor, the drawing of it, the landscape, the colors used. I, I really dug it. Uh, see, the continuity-free thing is what I didn't like about it. I, it, in part. It felt completely throwaway. But that's just me. That's kind of my focus. All right, next one we have here is from 2009. we got to skip two years, right, because there were two years where there weren't any. And Henry Gilroy returns with art this time by Ramon Perez with 
Star Wars The Clone Wars, based on the modern series, The Gauntlet of Death, where basically Kit Fisto is on the planet Rishi, and the weird owl people of Rishi need him to lead an assault on the Separatists, except there is a gauntlet of death, an area that nobody can seem to get through because it is so dangerous. It's kind of like a trench thing in a cliff face. So Kit Fisto's solution is to go into it, or be at the opening of it, have Cooker, a sniper, fire a bunch of blaster bolts at him, and him use the force to deflect the bolts into his targets, since you can't get a good shot with just the sniper shot. It's an interesting concept there, action-wise. Another extremely, extremely quick story, because this time, it's a flip book again, but it's not one, not two, but five freaking stories crammed into one comic. You have Usagi Yojimbo, I've heard of him, Emily the Strange, not so much, Bean World, what? And Indiana Jones, da, 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 and the Temple of Yearning, all in this same comic. Though granted, the Star Wars one gets its own side of the flipbook, you flip it over, and the other ones just have a simple free comic book day title on the cover. Uh, they only get covers, or get uh, credits and titles for their stories when you look at the inside cover of that side of the flipbook where it lays them all out. The Star Wars one gets its own credits page and a decent number of pages here. Again, it's kind of a throwaway story like stuff we get with the Clone Wars Digests and the Clone Wars comic series by Gilroy at the time. But I must say I really like the whole concept of, okay, you can't shoot the targets and I can't take them out directly, so shoot at me. I'll deflect the blaster bolts into the targets. It's an interesting use of that blaster deflection force ability. Absolutely. that That's my... Yeah, <laughs> he took the words out, right out of my mouth because that's exactly what it is. That that ability and the way he goes about it is what makes this a fun read. But it's totally something that you don't need to actually see or read. Uh, you know, it's such a a quick like I, I I dare even say this all takes place in a matter of five minutes. Uh, you know, I mean, the most of it is the lead up before Kit shows up because you find out that these clones are there and there is no Jedi leading them and that you know they're basically at the mercy of the local authorities who don't know diddle about war and so it's just making the clones look bad and then kit shows up to stop the stem of lost troops and this is his solution uh yeah i mean and he makes short work of it that was the funnest part about the whole thing too and and you know i love i love the good clone names like those too you know come on chapa then again we skip a year in 2010 and come back in 2011 with an oddity here we have the clone wars oppress Unleash. So again, tying into the cartoon series, and it's a flip book. You get half of it. From the one side is Star Wars, the other half is Avatar The Last Airbender, with two different Avatar stories in there that are slightly shorter. What's weird about this is it's a story of basically Savage Opress dealing with a hut. The mighty Nogox the Hut, who's not tied into the Hut Council, by the way, and He's there to warn them as a Jedi coming. Oh, no, I invited the Jedi. Yeah, that's why I'm warning you, because Dooku knows you invited the Jedi. And he proceeds to kill everybody present, including apparently smashing... Basically smashing the hut into a puddle of goo? Like he smashes the hut and he breaks apart like freaking Clayface? Or something? And by the time that uh, the Jedi does arrive... He's already escaped. Savage has already escaped, and it turns out that the Jedi who's arriving is Nuru Kungurama, 
from the Clone Wars Secret Mission series with Breakout Squad Cleaver, their droid, although I think he's drawn differently than I would have expected him from the uh, the clone commandos described in the book. And I think you're supposed to call him Giz? Gizman, the, the big swoop biker dude that I think made his debut, what, back with the, the Shadows of the Empire stuff? I have a real hard time <laughs> calling the guy Jizz. <laughs> what do you need? What do you need for this mission? Well, who do we need? We need some jizz. <laughs> really? <laughs> are, are you? Is this an artificial insemination assignment? <laughs> what? <laughs> um, it's almost as bad as having Jedi Master Soon Bates. That's right, Jedi Master Bates. Uh, perhaps he's working with jizz um, at the time. Wow, we're really getting off color here. But I swear <laughs> to God, it's it's all real Star Wars names. Suffice to say, what makes this weird is this isn't a standalone comic. It feels like it could be, but it's actually part of Strange Allies. Uh, it's a story that's written by Ryder Wyndham and with art by Ben Dewey. And the Digest Strange Allies picks up after the Breakout Squad uh, or Secret Missions books and has this whole issue with what's going on with uh, a pirate, a separatist pirate, and they're trying to guard Nogox's shipments... Uh, of droid brains that they need for the shipyards at Fondor and whatnot. And then it moves into this whole thing with Savage. And then Savage just basically disappears from the story, and you get Kit Fisto joining the team to help them go up against the pirates. And then a weird situation where you've got... Basically, they find that the pirate leader is working with this Twi'lek woman uh, who's kidnapped a bunch of orphan children. Um... And all the while, you've got the whole side plot of Big Giz, or Big is having trouble with the... I promise you this is not a joke. Um, Big Jizz or Giz is having trouble with the ladies. Wow, the naming just doesn't work. And just, <laughs> they just kind of carry on through that storyline where he like starts to fall for the woman, the Twi'lek woman, of course, uh, who has kidnapped the children who's supposedly blind. He's like, ah, you said the green hover bus, so I knew you were lying type thing. And that story itself has some hilarious moments in it. You got Giz being mocked by the kids uh, constantly when they're in the little ship. Stuff like, uh, let's see, what is it? Why would you say that? Are you joking? Heck no. I've never seen a Twilight with eyes like yours. Mistress Pundy is blind. Blind? You can't read. You stupid. And then you got, you ugly too. Uh, Mistress Pudi's stupid and ugly, too. He crazy. It just The little kid is hilarious. But that's in the Digest. All they did was cut out the center of the Digest, the one part that deals with the character that we saw in the Clone Wars that was big at the time in the cartoon series, yanked it out, slapped it in there as if it was a standalone story. It's not. It's not meant to be. And I'm sure this probably confused the heck out of people who didn't know who Nuru and Breakout Squad were in the tiny bit that they appear in that story. To me, I think that one, I don't know. It's probably one of the oddest of all of these, and I'm not sure it would have been thought of as successful because it isn't a whole story. It, it's, it's scenes. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's mm -hmm. related scenes, but not a story in and of itself. Well, the reason why I like this one so much is this one is what I would consider one of those fun fandom hunts. Um, you know, Naru and Breakout Squad are a group whose story stretches from, you know, books, kid books into comics uh, and other stuff. And, uh, you know, I believe they even had some online comics at one point, too, or maybe that's one of the ones I'm thinking of. But 
if you get this and the other stuff, it's a fun little story in and of itself. Uh, and so I like the fact that this like led into it at the time. I thought it was a prelude into one. I didn't realize it was actually just that chunk from it. Um, you know, and you mentioned when, when Savage is chopping the hut up, I love it because like in the scene before that, you see Savage and he's swinging the ax and you see the wonk sound of the ax when it swings and hits bodies. So, you know, okay, he's swinging the ax and that's the sound. And when the hut's a stop, I have money. I can, and then he slams it down. He's like, it looks like he pops him or something. You see the wonk, and then the next scene is wonk, 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 and then nothing. It's quiet. And then when you get to the very end, when Breakout Squad walks into that room, all that's left of the hut is like from his nose up of his head. <laughs> You're like, dang, man. Savage brutalized him. And I think for me, the, the one of the coolest things about this was seeing you know, breakout squad and that in the flesh for the first time. This, I believe came out before we got the comic digest, uh, at least if, or at least that's how I saw it. I saw this one first. And so, yeah, yeah. Giz was a character that like, I don't, I didn't see him that way in my mind. Whereas the droid, like, the droid's got the coloring of the droids that you would see in a Phantom Menace, but he, he is the battle style of the new, uh, the new commando droids, but he's got the other paint job. So it made it look odd in that regard. But I remember I loved Cleaver as a character in the story. I, I, I was really, 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 really impressed with the idea that, you know, one of Thrawn's relatives was a Jedi. I was like, that's like, and not only is Thrawn just super genius, he also has family that has ties. Like, you know, you can't go wrong or maybe it's just jumping the shark all over the place. And I love to jump sharks. I'm not really sure either. That brings us into 2012, where we finally get away from the Clone Wars after. Wow. I mean, all of them (laughs) up to this point. (laughs) And this is the art of the bad deal by, of all people, Zach Whedon with art by Davide Fabri. Perhaps if I'm saying that right. And it's Star Wars, Han Solo and Chewbacca in The Art of the Bad Deal. And it's basically Han and Chewie tried to deliver some cargo to an individual named Verhandel, who seems kind of like a weird, like, soulless, eyeless, Durosternomoidian type guy, who's supposedly mm-hmm. this hard bargainer, and... He talks Han down very quickly. Han gets pretty much swindled, and Chewie's ticked off about it whenever he and Han have words, and Han smarts off, and Chewie's like, screw you, and leaves Han in the cockpit when a bunch of her handles men emerge from the little smuggling compartments to try to take over the ship. Han calls in Chewie. Chewie kicks their butts, but he's still not forgiving Han just yet. Um, this has some oddities to it I wanted to get into at least a little bit. For what it's worth, the rest of it is a very short couple-page preview of Alabaster. And then you've got uh, the flip side of this is, and this is something of interest to uh, sci-fi fans perhaps, is yeah. Serenity. A separate Serenity story here, but we're focusing on the Star Wars side. Uh, to me, it's got a couple funny moments. I think it's kind of just a quick throwaway dull story. I didn't find it all that much to write home about. The artwork sometimes is good, sometimes sucks. I think it'd be great art for uh, a scary story. I wonder what's going on with Han's neck sometimes, because it looks like he may be part giraffe, or maybe just related to Asajj Ventress. But, yeah, I mean, just kind of there for me on this one. Yeah, I'm in the era of Matt as well. I mean, there are aspects about it. The bad guy, the villain in this case, his people I would have liked to know more, maybe see them read 
turn as a reoccurring villain or or some kind of plot in that regard. The one thing that jumped out the most, though, the one thing that made me stop and go really and kind of that, that makes this one of those that like if you never picked it up, it would be no big deal is once Han is captured and he's tied up and he calls on Chewie, Chewie shows up. And he whoops everybody. These villains are all around Han at this point, who is again tied up, can't go anywhere, can't do anything. And all they got to do is hold a blaster to Han's head and they've got the ship. My give up. My give up. Yeah, exactly. And, and I mean, yeah, they just, they're like, well, that's all. Let's take the Wookiee on. And I don't know. It was just one of the stupidest things. Like nobody bothered to put the blaster on Han and bring this to a conclusion. I, I that to me was the weirdest thing that jumped out. Uh, but when you mentioned the art though, this is one of those that, that, you know, I've only in the last two, three years really started to pay more attention to who's doing the art. And this is one of those comics that really confused me because, you know, you mentioned, uh, uh David or David is doing the pencils, but we've got inks by Christian Dalla uh, Vichia. We've got colors by Rhonda Patterson. And I'm like, how many people do we, I mean, that's when I get confused because I don't know whose element of the art I'm really enjoying. You know, like, like is the pencils and the inks, is that the good stuff and the colors are screwing it up or was it botched in this, you know, like, cause you mentioned in the neck. I mean, I'm assuming that must be the penciler, right? I mean, obviously the inker isn't the one doing that one, but Inks and colors, I, I'm just confused as to why you need that many people to draw one comic. And you know, I know Joss Whedon is a huge name out there, uh, but it really did seem like this was sort of a, hey, Joss Whedon made Serenity. Let's have Zach Whedon, his brother, write a Serenity comic. And hey, while he's at it, let's have him write a Star Wars one too. Is like, yeah, okay. Hey, I, I got two for that reason though. I was like, I gotta have one for my Star Wars and one for my Serenity. I guess in that regard, with the last free comic book day, we really lucked out that they put Star Wars on its own and the other five together, because Indy could have just as easily took in a whole side. This is true. I don't know, just for some reason, just the name appeal didn't work. I mean, if it was Joss Whedon, maybe, but it's Zach Whedon. I'm like, okay, like, I might like a movie that's got Alec Baldwin in it. Doesn't mean I'm going to like this other Baldwin over here in something, although that seems to be what they want us to believe. Um, See, and I thought it was a son thing. I thought it was like, oh, well, you know, Josh is busy with the Avengers, but his son, Zach, who also loves everything his father did. I didn't even catch that it was the brother. That's the brother. <laughs> that leads us to our last one. The most recent, because it wasn't one in 2014, and that is 2013's The Assassination of Darth Vader. This one is by Brian Wood, who wrote Star Wars Volume 2, with artist Ryan Odagawa, who is not a regular artist on that series. This is his only time working with Brian Wood on Star Wars. The stories also included in this one include a Captain Midnight story and more Avatar The Last Airbender. Captain Midnight does not get his own cover. There's a little notice on the Star Wars side that says includes an all-new Captain Midnight story. You flip it over, and Last Airbender does get its own cover on the other side. The gist here is that it is Darth Vader, and he's actually narrating the story. He's on the Devastator with some stormtroopers, and the captain, Captain Torn of the Devastator, never heard of him before, but apparently there's a Captain Torn on the Devastator at this point, shortly before the Battle of Yavin. He's got a plot to kill Vader. So the stormtroopers are walking Vader into the docking bay right as Boba Fett is arriving on unrelated business, and... The stormtroopers turn on Vader and they decompress the docking bay, which is the whole point of trying to kill Vader. Uh, the captain flips the switch, decompresses, of course, 
Decompression isn't going to kill Vader. He just flips a switch on his breather, and he is good to go. Boba Fett gets pulled out along with Slave One and winds up saving Vader from incoming TIE Fighters, some of which Vader crushes Force Unleashed style and sends like a wrecking ball into the, the dying stormtroopers floating about in space until Vader basically pulls a General Grievous. He lands on the outside of the hull, stabs his way into one of the uh, hyperdrive systems, or one of the, the outer areas of the hyperdrive systems, or the circuitry, whatever, so that it's not working at the time, because he wanted to go into hyperspace and think that Vader could die in hyperspace if he won't die in regular space. And then Vader basically uses his lightsaber to shatter the viewport of the Star Destroyer and causes decompression of the entire bridge, but... Of all people, Captain Torn is the one who managed to grab uh, like a, an emergency mask and save himself while everybody else is blown out into space. Vader enters, things seal back up, and Vader snaps dude's neck. And presumably this is why there was a job opening, <laughs> eventually, for Kel Bercher uh, shortly after the events of A New Hope, according to Brian Wood, not taking into account anybody else like, what was his name? or whoever it was. Wow, I'm just, I'm a lot of the, eh, whoever it was. <laughs> it's just, it's that kind of day, apparently. I don't know, I just, I find it an interesting story. This is one of my favorites of these. Oddly enough, a Brian Wood story of Star Wars, it is one of my favorites among something. I think that it could have used a little more space to be a little more drawn out. It's yet another Imperials want to take out Vader type story, but I think it was handled rather well, and I gotta say, Odegawa's artwork this guy I would have liked to have seen replacing DeAnda whenever he was off the issues of Star Wars Volume 2 instead of the mm -hmm. people that they did get to fill those issues because that art looks like everybody was made of mashed potatoes. This art's actually pretty good. Yeah, the art's pretty good. It's surprisingly... I I did not enjoy this one so much. Uh, this one felt more like a why Vader uses Fett in Empire Strikes Back version two or version three or whatever reboot we were choosing to do. When it starts out, I did not... I did not realize it was Vader. Uh, I don't know. I mean, the whole I was going to die kind of threw me off. So I'm reading it, and I'm like, that can't be Vader. And then I'm like, is it the trooper? No, it's not the trooper. It can't be Boba Fett that's talking. And then finally I figure out, okay, yeah, that is Vader. But I was lost at first. I didn't realize that that was actually Vader they were talking about. And the fact that Boba Fett shows up the way he did, I was like, wait, is Boba Fett part of the plan? Because that would have been just brilliant, but apparently he wasn't. So it felt like lazy writing there. And then the whole, you know, blast the ship out. I was like, okay, well, what's going on with that? Vader's shooting the troopers and stuff. I'm like, okay, yeah, they're trying to kill Vader. He's on the outside, and, and that's when Slave 1 kind of, like, looks like it's about to flip over and crash on him, and he force catches it or something? Like, him and Fed are playing a game of catch, and, and Slave 1's the ball? I... I was lost at that point, but I was like, okay, the adventure's still kind of fun because it is, at this point, you got Vader outside the ship, and I'm like, all right, whatever. Aside from the little weird angle of why Boba Fett's there, uh, you know, I had no idea why Boba was there. So again, at the end of this, I felt like this was just the, well, this is how Boba and, and, and Vader met and why Boba was on that very short list. In that regard, I was like, okay, I get it, but I, I felt like, okay, here's Brian Woods doing his thing again, coming in and just, you know, like any good freelancer, he adapts to the needs of the task at hand. Oh, oh, oh. oh, I'm so punny. That was me just actually quoting the comic itself. <laughs> That's the old uh, 
Brian Wood thing, which is the, oh, well, we'll just retread over something that's come before as far as the whole, you know, Boba Fett, you're going to be on call. You're at the top of my list. You know, uh, your hits, your hits are on my list. And hits in this case <laughs> mean killing. Yeah, it's, it's like Boba Fett apparently within this era was being told repeatedly, you're, uh, it reminds me of the old uh, Batman, right? The Michael Keaton Batman. You are my number one guy, right? Um <laughs> What really, the thing about this issue that cracks me up, it killed me when I saw it the first time. Like, literally, I dropped the comic, because I was, I was reading it standing up. I was moving back and forth between rooms and stuff, so I had it sitting on top of my printer, and I'm just walking back and reading it, and walking back and reading it, because um, I'd read it fairly recently. And I finally see it, I'm picking it up to come and actually sit down and flip through it one last time, and laugh so hard I dropped it. I've just read it right as you're saying this. Oh, my God. Right? Holy crap. (laughs) Right after. You had mentioned it, and I was like, what is Holy Right after the Star Wars story, ladies and gentlemen, there's an advertisement for Brian Wood's Star Wars Volume 2, and it says, Star Wars featuring covers by Alex Ross. Brian Wood writes an all-new original trilogy tale, and we kid you not, the tagline up at the top, like a kick to the balls, the heroes before they were legends. Wow. And, 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 and wow, the fact that I read that right as you were saying that, I'm like, it dawned on me that that was funny in and of itself. And you're like, and I dropped the comic and I, what could, what could he have read? In? And then I'm like, wait, before they were like, oh, God, that's, that's, that is a kick to the balls. <laughs> How you like the taste of them testicles kicked all the way up into the back of your throat, sir? Uh, yeah, cr- How you like them apples? Applesauce, beep! Absolutely cracked me up. Although, this, it, it's a perfect time also to mention the other weird thing with Star Wars that happened within the last week. Remember the whole April Fool's thing? Give yes. Us, what was it, ten, or whatever it was, uh, copies of Star Wars number one from Marvel, and we'll give you an exclusive variant of barbed wire number one. And it was re- announced on April Fool's Day, everybody thought it was a joke, and no, it's Dark Horse basically going... Hey, mother effa! Flipping the bird at Marvel. Well, and what's great about that is that Marvel did that to DC during the darkest day or, or brightest night or whatever that was with the Green Lanterns. So it's like, oh, oh, like it's like a double whammy. <laughs> and did you see the interview also? There was an interview, gosh, was it comicbook.com? Comic book, Re- I think it was CBR. I think it was comic book resources. Uh, I may be wrong though, but there was an interview in which I think it was actually Randy Stradley was talking about it. And basically, the way he described it, there was no discussion at all when the Star Wars license moved to Marvel. It wasn't, well, you're doing a good job, bud, or hey, here's what we'd like to do, or whatever. It was simply, we will not take any account of anything that you have done before. We're just going to move it to Marvel because, hey, we own it. Too bad. Which is, I mean, that's the way that it certainly seemed to fans in a lot of cases, and it certainly makes business sense. And in the business world, you got to be kind of cutthroat at times. But up until that point, it seemed like usually Dark Horse or the people behind Dark Horse, especially their editors, were out there trying to put a, a good face on it. And, you know, well, we had so many good years and blah, blah, blah. And you'll still be able to read them as they get reprinted and blah, blah, blah. And, hey, we got all these other cool stories that you can check out from these other franchises. And here was basically Stradley saying, yeah, we got dicked. So... Send us your Star Wars number ones. We'll send you some barbed wire. Eat it. (laughs) 
and it slid right under most people's rider. Why? <laughs> Sorry. It slid, it, it slid right up under wherever that woman kept the lightsaber. <laughs> and everybody thought it was an April Fool's joke, too. That was the best part. It was like, two days later, they're like, wait, what? That wasn't a joke? Like, it's a little ballsy, don't you think? Ah, who cares? And they, and they planned it that way. They planned it so that it would sound like a joke, and then they could c- and get attention for it, right? Because it's April Fool's Day. And then come back a few days later and get attention for it again as a promotion for the barbed wire number one by saying, no, nah, dude, that wasn't a joke. We meant yeah. it. This is yeah. the only way to get this exclusive variant cover. Give us your Star Wars number ones. Oh, uh, and, and then on top of it all, it kind of works in Marvel's benefit, too. I mean, if these issues start disappearing, eventually they'll be worth more money because, it, I mean, I'm not a Barb fan. I don't know about barbed wire aside from I think Pamela Anderson played a version of her in live action. But. You know, if that turned out to be popular, no, you know. No. I think you're wrong about that. I don't think Probably. Pamela Anderson has ever played a virgin in anything. <laughs> Good night, folks. <laughs> this is this is one of those episodes you almost need to put a parental guidance warning on the beginning of it. Be warned, well, they're like, recording this late at night. Yes. But it's one of those things where you gotta stop and wonder, like, if they if they were to give out a million of those, you know, that would mean that 10 million covers were to disappear, which would mean that those covers are gone, which would mean those other volume ones that do have the covers would be worth a lot more money, right? True, and and maybe Marvel could use it to artificially inflate their sales numbers for number one a little bit more. Oops, did I say that? <laughs> did I say that? Uh, uh, next time on Star Wars Beyond the Films After Dark. Wow. So, suffice to say, I guess coming around to this, is that there are some actual hidden gems, some surprisingly good stories within these free comic book day comics. They're not all throwaway stories. Some of them are, and they're all fairly short, relatively speaking, except for, I guess, one or two of them. They're all pretty short, but they are pretty cool. They're somewhat harder to find now just because, in many cases, it's been years since they were released and they were free and people were gobbling them up at the time on places like eBay if they couldn't get to stores, but they've all been collected somewhere else. So you can pick up any of these that strike your fancy, so to speak. But uh, again, I would definitely recommend Brothers in Arms, and I would definitely recommend uh, The Assassination of Darth Vader. The other ones I could say are Take or Leave, but those two particularly stand out, at least in their era of Star Wars publishing. They don't mean anything now in the Marvel scheme of things, but pretty cool for the time. Yeah, I mean, it, I, I don't think any of these are ones that you need to really jump over and bend over backwards to try to find. If you can get them in the omnibuses or the trades and stuff, you know, Stop. right on. If you... Stop saying sexual things. <laughs> what I say? I don't even know. Talking about people bending over backwards. <laughs> oh, okay, that's not my bad. Continue. <laughs> They're out there. You just got to find them. Uh, you, you know, I guess it really comes down to the question of how much are you going to invest in Legends uh, moving forward? You know, knowing it's an alternate universe, are you planning on exploring, you know, as much of it as you can? Uh, and then which of the canon levels that it had, you know, because some of this stuff because of the Brian Woods Volume 2 gets trumped over because of the Clone Wars kind of gets trumped over. But there are some really good gems out there. You know, Dark Horse Comics Clone Wars era was one of my favorite of all the Clone Wars eras out there. So, I mean, it told some really good stories and uh, i mean if if you go out and hunt that one down and get the clone wars volume seven you know you get obsession with it and that's a fun story as well so you know there's those things think about that weigh it do the pros cons go out there and look and see what you can find how much you can find it for and you know take the plunge or don't so yeah yeah it's, it's an interesting 
smattering of Star Wars material, but uh, hopefully those of you who have picked these up will give us your thoughts as we head towards, hopefully, a listener feedback episode sometime in the near future. It's slowly building up, so one is coming, folks. So with that, we're going to jump into our covers. Well, as I mentioned, the one for Star Wars Tales, a Jedi's weapon that is basically just actual Hayden Christensen as Anakin on the cover with a blue lightsaber, no relation to what's inside. Decent enough for a photo cover, at least they got some interesting, weird, psychedelic-type effects going on in the background. Then you've got the one for Hide in Plain Sight, Clone Wars Adventures. That's kind of your standard stuff. It's Tartakovsky's style art of Luminara and Barris with this big General Grievous behind them. Suits the story much more than the first one did. Brothers in Arms, that one has a decent cover. I mean, it's just Obi-Wan and Anakin with their lightsabers drawn looking Revenge of the Sith style and just kind of standing in front of a big door. But it's a Decent enough cover. The artwork there is better, for the most part, than the whole comb-over thing on the inside. Though I do tend to like the art, though it varies. And then, of course, you've got Routine Valor, at least in free comic book day form, which is a pretty iconic shot, actually, of Commander Cody looking up sort of either a sunrise or a sunset. I guess it's supposed to be sunset with uh, gunships flying over his head, where it says, Another day, another siege. I should also note with these that up until you get to Oppress Unleashed, they all have these oversized boxes instead of a UPC mm. area that says, from your pals at Dark Horse Comics and... And a lot of times you'll see these with a stamp that has the stamp's name and address of your local comic shop. Mine don't because of just how I managed to get my hands on them over the years. Uh, but a lot of them, if you're looking for these and you go online, the covers will be besmirched, perhaps you could say. Or you could say individualized, depending on how you look at it, for particular comic shops, usually. Yeah, in fact, I noticed that because I have one of them that does have the stamp, one that doesn't. And then, in fact, when you get to the last one, uh, they've got that from your pals and comics on the side again, but it, it's not a box. But it's back, which I thought was odd because, yeah, they, they did with the Savage Press one. It dropped away for just that one. It was like, huh, I wonder why they did that. I mean, it's not showing it on the... Oh, never mind. That's why it was on the other side. Ah. It's not as garish as it goes along. It starts out of these big white boxes that are just kind of weird to see because they're horizontal. And mm -hmm. then once you get to a press unleash, it's on the other side. And then when you get to the two newer ones, it's vertical off to the side for uh, the art of the bad deal, where it's basically just where you would see a UPC symbol anyway. So it's not a, a glaring thing. And then on the one for assassination of Darth Vader. That one's a plain white background, and it's just that label off to the side without there really even being much of a box to it. So it's like they slowly got less obtrusive as they went along. Mm -hmm. Now, when it comes to, like, you know, the Clone Wars Gauntlet of Death, I, I think that one's one of my favorite fun ones. You know, the classic Clone Wars styling, uh, you know, from the digest and stuff like that. I don't know. It's always appealed to me. I've enjoyed that. The Savage Press one, Oppress Unleashed. 
Eh, it's okay. I mean, I guess you could rank it up there with a Jedi's weapon with the uh, Anakin. I mean, it, it feels very much like that same steel. Granted, because Oppress wasn't a live action character, all you have is him from the Clone Wars. So it feels like they did a job in that regard. And it kind of matches up with what you got on the inside because when you see him, he's kind of angry and stuff. Uh, the Han Solo one with Chewie, I, I like it. It's got this weird kind of cartoony effect to it. It's probably one of my favorites as well. Uh, and then the last one with the assassination of Darth Vader having uh, Vader and Boba Fett on it. That one just feels like a, it feels like it fits the theme of what you've got probably the most because the background, like you said, it's very generic and white and it's just the two of them. In a lot of ways, I almost kind of think that that's what they should do with all the free comic book days, but I do like having options in the covers, but that one feels the most like it's a free comic book day cover. And like like we were just talking about, the, the way that they put that on the side, it really blends in well, so it doesn't look like it's sticking out. Only one I'd want to comment on on those four is, if you look at the one for Art of the Bad Deal, one, it looks like Chewbacca's trying to eat that crate. <laughs> uh, but two, also, what's interesting to me is the supply crate designs there, I kid you not, same design as the supply crate tokens for Imperial Assault. Oh. Very cool. Those are like the, apparently the Star Wars design for supply crates, for whatever reason. Now, I guess the last question to ask of this before we head out of here is, do you think that for someone who was not already a Star Wars comic reader, that picking up any of these free comic book day comics would have turned them into a Star Wars comic reader, because it's always sort of, it seems like there's a dichotomy here, where on the one hand, it's a free Star Wars comic to draw in people already reading them and collectors into brick-and-mortar stores so that they might experience other parts of the free comic book day events and maybe buy other stuff. But then there's also the, hey, from the publisher's end, let's get people interested in Star Wars comics, because maybe they read The Last Airbender and they flip it over and read the Star Wars comic, and that's going to draw them in, and they become new customers. First off, which do you think of those two approaches is probably the one that was most successful? And for the one that was the least successful, was it successful also, or was it a flop, or what? Like, how well did they do if those are kind of the two missions to this? God, that's hard to say, because I, I want to say that when it comes to Star Wars, no, I don't think they were that successful. You know, when I go down there, I know that's what I'm looking for. I'm, I'm gunning for it. And then it comes down to, you know, which other ones can I get? And then it's like, OK, well, I'm a big fan of Marvel, some DC. And then when it comes to like the DC stuff, it's like, well, if it's one that's, you know, to be continued, then I'm a little more like, oh, now, dude, that was good. I want to know what happens next. But these are all pretty relatively self-contained stories. And the general nature of how Star Wars Legends at this time put out its stories, it was all that one big universe. So it wasn't like I felt like, well, maybe probably the Savage Press one is probably the closest to that, where it was one that tied to something else. And I felt like to know more, you had to have the other parts. Uh, so maybe in that regard, it may have worked. But I, I don't I just don't think that the way that they do them for the most part though, is going to do that same where you're like, I got to know what happens next because they, they all feel like they have that little conclusion. I mean, there are three examples of, of this episode that I can think of where it really felt like, yeah, it talks about stories before and after this. Uh, but for the most part, they all felt that self-contained that I don't think that that worked. Uh, but yeah, I do think though that the free comic book day totally helps in bringing in the customers in on those days. Uh, I know my store, they do a lot of, uh, you know, uh, half offs and stuff like that. They, they tie that in with their anniversary day. So they have a lot of specials going on. They'll have the 501st showing up. So, yeah, I mean, when you don't have the, the free Star Wars day, I mean, it, it 
you don't have that opportunity. You know, when the Star Wars is there, when it's one of the ones having the 501st show up, it makes sense. You know, you're able to kind of have that extra cash in that community feel, that really fun vibe. Uh, you know, th- there's those angles and stuff that really make sense when it comes to driving up the local brick and mortar sales. Um, but I don't necessarily know if I actually answered your question 100%. <laughs> I think I think it's hard to answer the question. You know, I'm not sure that there is much of an answer. We'd have to look and see what the distribution looked like, I suppose. But to me, none of these stories really felt like they were hooks to bring people in. Particularly Brothers in Arms felt like it was there for the people already reading Star Wars comics, not those who might be drawn into reading them. Mm-hmm. Um, none of these really were, were, whoa, that was so awesome. I want to see something by this guy or of this universe. It just kind of felt like generic Star Wars stories, I guess. And uh, as far as bringing in new readers, that's not generally going to be what hooks people. You know, it needs to be something, you know, outstanding. You know, that pilot episode, the first couple of episodes of the TV show need to bring people in. Uh, the first couple issues of a comic, that should hook people, get people interested, bring them in. I was in the process just recently of, on Netflix, I started watching that show Continuum, because I like time travel stuff and I heard it was all right. Uh, so I'm watching Continuum, and there's an interesting moment at the end of the first episode that was a holy Sith kind of moment that got me hooked enough to keep watching. Oddly enough, I'm halfway through season one, and that really hasn't come back at all yet. <laughs> um, but an interesting moment there as you get towards the end of it. None of these really kind of have that type of twist to make people really dive in, I don't think. I think that, you know, oddly enough, that fan club special that they reprinted Routine Valor in that had the Into the Unknown Indiana Jones Star Wars crossover thing, as weird as that was, even though it was also Infinities straight up, that probably would have worked more to get people going, hey, that's kind of cool. I wonder what other kind of creative stuff they're doing um, to draw them in as opposed to these stories. As for bringing Star Wars fans to pick up these comics into the brick-and-mortar stores, it seems like it works, but I hear this all sort of anecdotally. My wife's father ran a comic shop here in Fairburn, Georgia for a while. But it was a very, very small operation. If you were going to get the free comic book day comics, he would have to kind of specially get them and set them aside because it wasn't like he was you know, having a whole bunch of them available anyway or holding a big event or anything like that. Prior to that, I had actually worked at an enormous comic shop in Evansville, Indiana, Comic Quest. But I was leaving. I had just graduated college and left in 2002 which is when they started doing the free comic book day comics for Star Wars. But just anecdotally, it seems like it has brought in quite a few people. It brings a lot of people in for the events. It brings in the people for the gaming and kind of everything else. It's kind of free comic book day, but not just about comics anymore. It's sort of all geekdom. And in that sense, I think that, yeah, a Star Wars fan who can't get these another way is going to go in. What I actually found interesting was kind of like with that Delray sampler last year, not, not talking about the one that this year they're giving away at Celebration, but the Delray Sampler last year, remember what was unusual about it was it was an ebook. There mm-hmm. wasn't a printed version. And I found actually that more people that I've talked to, it wasn't that they were drawn into the comic shop by the free comic book day comic, and they wouldn't have gone and gotten it anyway if it was just any other Star Wars comic. It's just this one happened to be free. It was more people actually for the first time saying, hey, well, it's free. I'm going to try out the Dark Horse and get the digital Uh version of this free comic book day comic to read instead of making the trip all the way to a comic shop. And it sort of got them into the app. Now, granted, now that's not an issue because Dark Horse's app isn't selling new Star Wars comics. Just all the old archive stuff you may have already bought is still accessible through there. 
But I found it interesting that people were taking an event that's meant to bring people into brick-and-mortar comic shops, and it was also acting as a doorway to get them into a non-comicsology comics app, since comicsology handles pretty much everything but Dark Horse at this point, and it brought them in. Hmm. Yeah, I wouldn't even have thought about that one. Now, we're going to have more of these down the road, I'm sure, as we uh, eventually get more free comic book day stuff. But don't expect that anytime soon, because look how long we rambled on over eight issues. And that's, what, 12 years worth of comics? <laughs> so expect another one sometime before retirement. My co-host will be Jaina. <laughs> Now that about wraps up this episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films. We'd like to thank you once again for hanging around with us as we ponder on sharing our fandom. Remember, you can always listen to our episodes streaming online on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes are also available on Zoom, Stitcher, and on iTunes, which we always encourage you to leave us a review while you're at it. You can also find links to our episodes on both our Twitter and our Facebook pages at SW Beyond Films, or just type in Star Wars Beyond the Films in your search bar. Hey, no matter how you get there, though, be sure to like our Facebook page. It's one of the best ways to interact with us, our own home one, if you will. Not only can you post comments to us about the show, we love interacting with you fellow fans. So if you have any Star Wars and or EU slash Legends questions, or you just want to comment about a past episode, fire off. You can always email us directly at swbeyondfilms at starwarsfanworks.com. And speaking of past episodes, you can find them all at www.starwarsreport.com slash beyondthefilms. Now, lastly, before we go, we wanted to mention to you our Audible trial. If you go to www.audibletrial.com slash Star Wars Report, you get a free trial run of Audible.com to see what they're all about. That's right, one free book. Our sponsors have more than 100,000 titles, so you can explore the Star Wars expanding universe or any other genre without being stuck with a book you flat out hate because Audible members can exchange any book within 12 months. That's one year with no questions asked. So in this digital age, if you're thinking of making a switch from the page to the audiobook, Audible just might be right for you. So, once again, for Stars Beyond the Films, this has been Mark and Whistler. And Nathan. Saying, thanks for listening and may the force be with you. And don't quote us the odds. This comment about Jaina being his co-host means that I'm dead. And I guess she's the Countess of Continuity. (laughs) I think so more, but I hope. Or the fact that we'll ever do another free comic book day. Will we still be around in eight years? <laughs> Apparently we're becoming a little more multicultural. Yeah. Apparently we'll be... F***! <laughs> you are completely breaking up. Oh, f*** a bean. That leads us to our last one. Uh, the most recent, because there wasn't one in 04, or... <laughs> I feel like this episode should end... Somehow, with with Cartman from South Park, you got effed in the A. It is a, <laughs> it, it, it's an odd day. What can we say, listeners? And for me, it's it's a new day because uh, it's one a.m. at this point. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>